And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620, or you're listening to the podcast over at investinghope.com, or Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, or you're telling Alexa to play uh, the show, however it may be, whatever you are listening to, we are grateful for that. So uh, look, you know, I've talked about the election the last two weeks. Uh, we're going to get away from that uh, this week. We still, things are kind of up in the air uh, with with officially calling it for uh, Vice President Biden. Uh, so time will tell, but we're not going to continue to talk about it every single week just because there's other things uh, we need to talk about. There's other things going on in the uh, world of life and abortion and things that you need to know about that are happening around the country. And so that's what we're going to focus on uh, today. Now, now they do have uh, the topics that we're going to be looking at today, you know, they have ramifications depending on elections and what that looks like. Uh, you know, whether we're going to end up with the, the majority in the Senate being pro-life or not depends on Georgia. Uh, whether we are going to uh, move the ball down the field and, and, and see uh, what that looks like, see if we if 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 the election does end up being what what it appears to be uh, with um, Joe Biden being the president moving forward, uh, we need to have majority in the Senate to stop some of the things that he's going to want to do when it comes to abortion and life. And so uh, we'll we'll talk about those things in the coming weeks and months. Months, but today what I want to do is is look at some things that happen or that are happening around the country in specific states concerning life. And abortion, and so one of those being Massachusetts. So, so when we talk about Roe v. Wade, when we talk about the issue of life and abortion, uh, you know, we, we've said this a number of times on the show. If Roe v. Wade gets overturned, uh, we hope that that day will come. We we do hope that uh, now with Amy Coney Barrett sitting on the Supreme Court, some of us believe we may have a majority. And so, if a if a case gets brought before them, there may be a reason to overturn. Roe v. Wade. But the reality is, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, all that does is send it back to the states. So what you what you see is states like Tennessee, states like Alabama, states like Louisiana, states like Florida, other places that are positioning themselves for a day where Roe is overturned, meaning they are, they are trying their best to put in restrictions to abortion. So if Roe v. Wade is overturned and it goes back to the states, in, sta- in a state like Tennessee, you wouldn't be able to get an abortion. But then you have the, the other side of that coin, which you have states like New York, states like uh, Massachusetts that we're going to be talking about here in a second, uh, Colorado, and a number of other states, Illinois, that are, that are positioning themselves for the day where Roe is overturned. And you will be able to get an abortion in those. You're going to have red states going one direction, blue states going another direction. So here's what's happening in Massachusetts. There's an article over at National Review written by Michael New uh, that I highly recommend. And he's actually writing in response to a piece that was written in um, National Review by Wesley Smith uh, last week. And, and so this is what he has to say. In, it, in, in a post last week, Wesley Smith rightly expressed concern about the Roe Act in Massachusetts, which would effectively expand the right to abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy. Did you hear that? So, so, so look, folks, when we talk about is it a, is it a blob of cells, is it a blob of tissue, a lot of those conversations happen in the early points of the pregnancy. You hear people saying, look, it's not really a baby until, you know, after 20 weeks, after 20, most of the country, most of the populace would say after 20 weeks, we know the gender of the baby, like abortion should not be okay then. 
this particular legislation in Massachusetts would go and say, hey, anytime during the pregnancy, all the way up to the, the moment before birth, you can have an abortion. And the article goes further. Smith is correct that the Roe Act is similar to recent legislation passed in New York and Vermont, ensuring that there, there are no legal limits on when a woman may obtain an abortion. This past Thursday, the Massachusetts State House approved a budget bill including the Roe Act, and the state Senate will be considered the legislation shortly. But the Roe Act contains another troubling provision in addition to allowing abortion with no gestational limits. It would significantly weaken the state's pro-life parental involvement law. Currently, minors, girls under 18 in Massachusetts, are required to receive consent from at least one parent before obtaining an abortion. Now, why is that important? If you are in Massachusetts and uh, you want to get your ear pierced, there, there's a really strong chance you're going to have to have parental consent. Look, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I was 14 years old, my mom and stepdad was out of town. My dad was milking cows. And I went with a buddy of mine and his mom to get my ear pierced. And guess what? My buddy's mom had to sign for me and had to pretend that she was my mom in order for me to get my ear pierced at 14 years old. Now, no one argues that that's a crazy thing, that a, that a minor would have to get parental consent to get their ear pierced. Or if you're a minor and you want to walk into a tattoo parlor, you can't get a tattoo without parental consent. You can't get those things without parental consent. That's just the way it is. If you are a minor, you can't buy cigarettes. You can't buy tobacco. You, you can't buy alcohol. But yet, in this country... We have some folks saying that you don't need any parental consent to end the life of the baby in your womb. And so currently, minors in Massachusetts are required to receive consent from at least one parent before obtaining an abortion. The Roe Act would reduce the age of consent to 16. If the bill becomes law, 16 and 17-year-old girls could obtain abortions in Massachusetts without parental consent. Considering that a high percentage of abortions performed on minors are obtained by 16- and 17-year-olds, this should greatly concern pro-lifers. Interestingly enough, in the past, Massachusetts has been a leader in terms of protecting minor girls and their unborn children. As early as 1974, the Massachusetts State Legislature passed a pro-life parental involvement law over a gubernatorial veto. Various legal challenges pre prevented this law from taking effect, and during the 70s, in the U.S. Supreme Court heard two separate cases involving parental involvement legislation in Massachusetts. A revised parental involvement law took effect in 1981, and Massachusetts became one of the first states after Roe v. Wade to require that minor girls receive parental consent when it comes to having an abortion. And so th these things are important because legislation matters. Legislation has an effect, and, and, and legislation, especially when it comes to minors, if we're going to want to protect minors, these things matter to us. The article goes further. A 1986 study in the American Journal of Public Health found strong statistical evidence that the parental involvement law reduced the abortion rate among minors in Massachusetts. The study did find that some Massachusetts minors obtained abortions in neighboring states after the law took effect, but, in, but the in-state decline clearly exceeded the out-of-state increase. The study also noted a slight increase in the birth rate among minors shortly after the parental involvement law took effect likely because some girls who otherwise would have obtained abortions carried their pregnancies to term. 
when, when Michael New testified against the Roe Act in June 2019, he used findings from the study to show that since 1981, the Massachusetts parental involvement law has protected tens of thousands of minor girls and their unborn children. Parental involvement laws do a great deal of good, both in Massachusetts and across the country. Currently, 37 states have these laws in effect, and at least 16 peer-reviewed studies suggest that these, um, these laws make a difference and, and do, in fact, uh, allow us to see a decline in the abortion rate when it comes to minors. And so when, when we look at these states, and I know some of you are, are like, well, uh, well, I'm listening to you in Tennessee or I'm listening to you in the southeast. Why does this matter to me? It matters because these things are happening around the country, and these things will go under the radar. These pieces of legislation are happening while we're paying attention to the national election, while we're paying attention to what's going on in Washington. These things are happening in our states. Furthermore, research shows that these laws improve public health in other ways. A 2003 study in the Journal of Health Economics found that parental involvement laws reduce pregnancy rates among girls ages 15 to 17. A 2008 study in the Journal of Law and Economics and Organization found that parental involvement laws lower gonorrhea rates for females under 20. Finally, a 2012 study in Economic Inquiry found that parental involvement laws reduce the incidence of suicides for females between the ages of 15 and 17. There's a good chance that the Massachusetts State Senate will pass the budget bill that includes the Roe Act and send the legislation to the Republican Governor Charlie Baker. While Baker supports legal abortion, he has also expressed misgivings about the Roe Act. During the previous debates over the bill, he has indicated that he supports the status quo when it comes to abortion policy in Massachusetts. Additionally, Boston.com recently reported that Baker is unhappy that a significant policy initiative was included in the budget bill, suggesting that he may not support it. Bay State pro-lifers should strongly encourage him to use the line-item veto to strike down the extreme and radical Roe Act. So think about that. In Massachusetts, it's not that they brought up a piece of legislation. It's not that they brought up a piece of legislation through the committee system. No, th this is getting you into the weeds. Let, let, me, let me take you into the weeds of politics. So when you want to get a, a major thing to happen, but you don't want it to go through the normal process, you kind of want it to, to happen under the radar, you would add it into the budget. And you would hope, well, maybe this won't garner a lot of attention. The governor wants the, the, the budget overall. Maybe he'll just say, look, it, this isn't worth the fight. We're just going to sign it and move forward. That's why the line item veto is important. He could look at the budget and go, look, I like all of these things, but I'm going to veto the Roe Act because the Roe Act needs to be discussed in committees. It needs to be a piece of legislation. It needs to go further than just a budget amendment. And so we're going to move forward with that. But, but this, is the, this is the play. This is the political strategy. So, so I, I get frustrated when, when you hear folks that, that are pro-abortion pro say, oh, pro-lifers are trying to do things secretive. Oh, pro-lifers don't care about life after, uh, it, after it's born. Pro-lifers are trying to restrict rights. And then here in Massachusetts, you have pro-abortion folks, pro-abortion opponent, proponents, seeking to put this into a budget bill and not into its own piece of legislation. Now, why would they do that? They would do that because they're hoping that it goes unnoticed. Well, guess what? It's not going unnoticed. And so, again, these things matter. This is why it's important to, to vote. This is why it's important to pay attention to, to the budgets when they come out. This is why every year when we look at the budget 
from a national standpoint and, and people start looking at the pork barrel projects and, and, and the different things, you, you start to see, oh, we, we, we paid millions and millions of dollars to some kind of polar bear research or we paid millions and millions of dollars to uh, grasshopper research. And, and you, you read those things and you think, hold on, is, is that real? Yeah, it's real because it was put into the budget and no one paid attention because the budget is, you know, could be thousands of pages and no one wants to read it all. And so all these budget amendments get put on, they're voted on quickly, no one discusses it, no one debates it, and boom, somebody got their back scratched and we move forward. This is what's happening in Massachusetts. They're putting it in the budget and they're hoping that the governor will not use his line item veto when it comes to his desk. And so... Again, these things matter, and both sides do it. This is not a, hey, you know, liberals do this or conservatives do that. They both do it. They both do it. And so what we have to do is pay attention. If you're in the state of Massachusetts, that should matter to you. You should reach out to your local legislators and say, hey, I'm not for this. This is not okay. Reach out to the governor there in Massachusetts and say, hey, I'm not for this. This is not okay. Do lives matter or not? You know, it's funny that they say things to us like, you claim to be pro-life, but you're really just pro-baby. Well, could we not also say you claim to be pro-life, but you're really anti-baby? Because they are. You know, nothing about what we're doing at at a pregnancy center is anti-life. We're certainly pro-baby, 100%, but we're also pro-mom. We're also pro-family. And so these are the things that we have to be discussing. So pray for those that are in Massachusetts. And we need to get this corrected to make sure that, uh, that minors are protected, that babies are protected, and that life would be celebrated in that state and the state surrounding it. We'll be back. Darius Rucker, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know, uh, it's always a good day when you get to hear Darius Rucker at any point in time. Uh, former Hootie and the Blowfish, and now making a quite the quite their career in country music. So uh, always, always like to hear him. As we continue the conversation today, today we are focusing on some states uh, across the country that that are making some pretty big decisions when it comes to life and abortion. The first segment we looked at Massachusetts. And, uh, and now what I want to do is look to, um, look to what's going on in Colorado. And so in Colorado, they had on the ballot just, um, you know, what, a couple weeks ago uh, when the election occurred, they had on the ballot what was happening uh, there in with, with – sorry, my, I'm, I'm reading these articles from my phone, and for whatever reason, it, it keeps – going black and I, and I don't know why so I'm doing my best to stall as I try to get them back up because uh, you can do that on radio because you can't see me but uh, but as we as we look at what's happening in Colorado uh, it's important again to know what's going on in these states across the Union and so there's an article over at National Review uh, that, that points out what's happening there in um, 
in the Colorado, in the state of Colorado. Colorado voters have rejected a ballot measure that would have prohibited abortion after five and a half months of pregnancy. Thanks to advancements in medical technology, unborn children at this stage of development increasingly are able to survive outside the womb when born premature. The survival rate rises sharply when a child is delivered just one or two weeks later. At five and a half months gestation, the fetus is the size of a papaya and has begun to grow eyebrows and hair. Just one week later, she develops the ridges that anchor fingerprints and footprints. Yet, in Colorado, abortion from 22 weeks onward will remain legal because 1.7 million voters have made it so. Though perhaps it is unavoidable in a democratic republic such as ours, it is a hideous thing to decide who lives and dies by checking a box on a ballot. A vote such as this can only go the way it did when a sizable number of people are convinced either that someone or either that some killing of some human beings is morally acceptable or more likely that post-viability abortion does not entail killing healthy unborn human beings. A brief survey of the debate reveals why there might be confusion on this point. A cherished defense of those who favor legal abortion later in pregnancy is that such procedures are incredibly rare and are made available only when a mother's health is at risk or her unborn, unborn child suffers from a life-threatening disease. Perhaps such a belief is comforting, but it nevertheless conflicts with reality. The Pro-Choice uh, Institute, uh, Guttmacher Institute estimates that of the 926,000 abortions in the U.S. each year, about 12,000 occur after fetal viability. Far from being rare, there are more, there are more post-viability abortions annually. Besides, did you hear that? There are more post-viability abortions annually than there are gun homicides. Evidence suggests that women obtain most of those second and third trimester abortions for reasons other than a fetal health condition. According to one 2013 article by professors of the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, they say this, data suggests that most women seeking later terminations are not doing so for reasons of fetal anomaly or life endangerment. In this interview with one of the U.S. doctors who performed abortions in the last three months of pregnancy, the doctor states this, quote, a large percentage of our patients had no idea that they were pregnant, end quote, and obtained an elective abortion after viability for that reason. Southwestern Women's Options, an abortion, uh, an abortion clinic there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, likewise performs elective abortions through 32 weeks gestation and offers them after 32 weeks on a case-by-case basis. Our understanding of the reality of abortion is hindered not only by the flouting of facts such as these, but by profound resistance in, to considering abortion honestly. Instead of acknowledging that the fetus is a member of the human species who might possess a right to life, our debate is obscured by the nebulous concept, concepts such as the right to choose. But the central question isn't whether women have the right to choose. It, it is whether... Anyone ought to be able to choose abortion. In other words, the right to choose what? If abortion is the deliberate killing of a human being, surely that must alter our conversation and our calculus. Which brings us back to Colorado. We need not judge the hearts or consciences of Colorado voters to condemn what they've done. Presented with an opportunity to protect human beings in the womb when they can survive outside of it, nearly 2 million people voted no. Should it give us pause that something so monumental has been decided in a voting booth? A similar question lay at the heart of the debate between Stephen Douglas and Abraham Lincoln, who promoted contradictory versions for how the U.S. should handle the weighty question of slavery. 
For Douglas, the question of whether slavery was moral should have no bearing on policy. What mattered most in his view was that the states and the people have the right to decide their policy on slavery for themselves. Quote, I hold that the people of the slaveholding states are civilized men as well as ourselves, that they bear consciences of, as well as we, and that they are accountable to God and their posterity and not to us, end quote, by Douglas. It is for them to decide, he said, therefore the moral and religious right of, of the slavery question for themselves within their own limits. But for Lincoln, democracy, democracy should not, indeed, could not, be understood to mean that anything, including one man's choice to dominate another, was permitted as long as it was agreed to by proper democratic procedure. Lincoln said this, When the white man governs himself, that is self-government. But when he governs himself and also governs another man, that is more than self-government. That is despotism, Lincoln said. That is to say, inasmuch as you do not object to my talking or my taking my hog to Nebraska, therefore I must not object to you taking your slave. This, he went on, is perfectly logical if there is no difference between hogs and African Americans. Lincoln was pointing out that the right to choose as such was devalued when the object chosen was morally disordered and a violation of another man's natural rights. Can we not say the same about abortion, which in its quest for individual freedom snuffs out the life of a tiny man and a tiny woman. As Douglas may well have counseled, grown men and women in Colorado have exercised their right to vote. Their state will remain one of the few in the country with no limits on the license to end an unborn human life. And so the question is, what are we voting for? What does it mean to say that, that you can have an abortion after five months of pregnancy? What does that mean? What occurs in an abortion after five months of pregnancy? Now, you can wrap that in a package that says that only occurs when the life of the mom is at stake. But, but we know that's not true. The data says that's not true. Studies say that's not true. The numbers say that's not true. The doctors, with their own words, say that's not true. When doctors come out and say a lot of the, the abortions that we provide later in the pregnancy are, are because the, the woman never knew she was pregnant to begin with, that's not her life is at stake. You know, we've said for years, well, if we ever get to a point where technology and science advances enough that a, that a child can live outside the womb and be born premature, then, then the restrictions will continue to, to be cut back on abortion. But actually what we have seen is the opposite. Science and technology shows us today that, that we've had babies survive even at 20 weeks, 21 weeks, 22 weeks. Be born and, and are living a productive life in society. So we have the, the, the data and the studies that, that prove that to be true. That a baby can survive outside the womb. Even as early as 21 weeks. We've seen it with our own eyes. It's the, same, it's the same argument where people say, well, if a woman is raped, of course she needs to abort that child. When we have neighbors that are the product of that, walking around amongst us, that their, their mom was raped, chose life, and they are now living because of that choice. 
and we look them straight in the face and say they should have been aborted. Or we see kids that have Down syndrome and we look them straight in the face and say they should have been aborted. Shame on us. So the question isn't just a vote in a voting booth. It is what are you voting for? And what you voted for in in Colorado, this is what you voted for. Ending the life of a human. That's what you voted for. After five months of pregnancy, still being able to end that life. That is exactly what you voted for. And it should be called out. We'll talk more when we come back. This right here is for the sleepless. Trying to make it in the fire ones. This is for the abandoned. Let's keep dancing while the day's young. Cause it'll be alright, 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 alright. It's gonna be alright, 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 alright. This won't last forever. Baby, it's gonna get better. It'll be alright. So today we are looking at states around the union that, that are um, making some decisions that, that are questionable at the, at the very least when it comes to abortion. And, and the next state we're going to look at is a state that, that we've talked about a number of times on this show because of their abortion policies, because of things that, that they allow to go on, because of um, you know the, 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 the unwillingness to, to stand up for the vulnerable. And that's the state of New York. And, and, and the reason why I want to bring it up is because of what has happened over the last eight months in the state of New York. So this isn't necessarily about abortion. This is about how they've handled COVID, uh, the, the victory lap that the governor has taken uh, for one of the biggest uh, failures in, in our country uh, when it comes to the handling of COVID. Uh, they're, they're, they're estimating now close to 14,000 nursing home residents lost their life during COVID uh, because of policies that were put in place by the governor, uh, Governor Cuomo there in the state of New York. And, and Governor Cuomo and his brother on CNN would, would have uh, comedic you know, hours on, on the show talking about uh, taking their, their COVID test and, and laughing it up and, and poking fun at each other while nursing home residents were, were being killed. And I don't use that phrase lightly. The policy in the state of New York was we are going to send patients that have COVID, the most vulnerable in our population, meaning the elderly that are living in nursing homes who tested positive for COVID, we're going to send them back into the nursing home before they're fully over this virus. That's what happened in New York. I'm not making it up. Look it up. There were policies in place. Now, they rescinded that policy, but the damage was already done. And then Cuomo wrote a book on leadership, and the media outlets have been celebrating him. Even Fauci said Cuomo was a model for how to handle COVID. Anyone that would argue that that they were the model on how to handle COVID I question I question that thought process greatly. And so what we've seen over the last uh, couple of weeks is the refusal of Governor Cuomo to take any responsibility in the nonsense that has happened 
in that state. And there's an article over at The Blaze that, that I would recommend to you. And it says this, the New York Republican Party and several pundits and commentators lambasted New York Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo after he gave a speech over the weekend criticizing the president, the president's response to the coronavirus pandemic and saying that strong leaders admit their mistakes. Now, that's, that's something coming from Governor Cuomo. Plugging his new book on leadership during the pandemic at Riverside Church in Morningside Heights in Manhattan Sunday, Cuomo said that a strong leader shouldn't be defensive when he's made mistakes. The key, Cuomo says, is to be strong and secure enough to admit your mistakes and admit your shortcomings. Don't get defensive. Denying the mistake only assures. Denying the mistake only assures that, that others will, will come further. And so, again, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because, because we, this matters. When he says denying the mistake only assures repeating the mistake, when, again, he failed miserably in what was going on in the state of New York. The article goes further. New York's GOP responded to a video of Cuomo's remarks blasting the governor and accusing him of dodging responsibility for his numerous mistakes. After the onset of the pandemic at the beginning of the year, Cuomo infamously issued an executive directive on March 25th requiring nursing home facilities to accept patients diagnosed with COVID-19 from hospitals. The purpose of the order was to free up hospital bed space for an expected overwhelming influx of virus patients. The result of this extraordinary mistake was to house sick coronavirus patients with elderly populations that proved to be extremely susceptible to contracting the disease, resulting in the deaths of about uh, now they're saying 67 or 6,700 New Yorkers in nursing homes, but but other reports have said up to 14,000 because they're not fully reporting the numbers there in the state of New York. Cuomo has never accepted responsibility for this mistake. In fact, the governor has defensively accused his critics of lying and blamed state Republicans in the New York Post for the controversy over his administration's disastrous policy. In the speech, Cuomo also discussed progress on a coronavirus vaccine accusing the federal government under President Trump's leadership of politicizing vaccine progress and undermining the American people's confidence in the government. Cuomo said, we have a vaccine on the way. Truly great news. But polls say 50% of the American people say they would not take the vaccine if it were available today because they don't trust the way the federal government has politicized the process. Cuomo added that his administration and independent medical experts will review any vaccine supplied by the Trump administration before distributing it to the New Yorkers to increase confidence in the vaccine. He did not mention that in October, he said himself, he was not confident in the Food and Drug Administration's approval process for a potential vaccine, adding that the American people should be very skeptical. Again, I'm not going to continue to read that, but, but that's what we've seen over the last few months because the, the current president is of a different party You've seen folks like Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Cuomo, and others create doubt in a vaccine. Now, maybe many of you have, the, have a doubt in the vaccine in general. It was Operation Warp Speed, less than a year. We, they, they say we have two vaccines, about 90%, 95% effective. Now, note that the, that news was not released until after Election Day. I think that was, uh, there was an agenda behind that. But that's a whole nother story. But the reason why polls are showing people don't trust the vaccine is because people like Cuomo and others are telling you not to trust it. Now, I'm not telling you 
whether to trust it or not. What I'm saying is we need to read and do the studies and, and all of those things. But, but important, we don't need politicians. If we get to a place where just because the politician has a different letter beside their name, we're going to not trust what comes out, especially when it comes to health and vaccines and those type things, then we're never going to be at a place where we can move the ball down the field. We're always going to be at a place where half the population believes the president is illegitimate, illegitimate, was not truly elected, there was cheating, and we don't trust anything that comes out of their administration. That's not healthy. That's not sustainable. The frustrating part here is Governor Cuomo wrote a book on leadership. He's been celebrated by all the media outlets for his quote-unquote leadership during the pandemic. And their state literally did the worst. We knew from the beginning, from the beginning, we knew the most vulnerable population to this virus were the elderly. Everyone knew that. It was talked about everywhere. And what did we do? And you can go back months ago and listen to this show. Go to the podcast, listen, where I I went through different states that did a terrible job of protecting the elderly, especially those that are in assisted living and nursing homes. The one area where we needed to protect people, we failed them. We failed our grandmas and our granddads. Sure, we closed down the whole economy. We shut down schools. But in certain states, they were sending COVID-positive patients into nursing homes to infect the most vulnerable in our population, folks that are already dealing with uh, pre-existing conditions. That's typically why they are in a nursing home. Their bodies are already struggling. Their immune systems are already weak. And Governor Cuomo sat around a conference table and not one person, are you, are you telling me not one person looked at him and said, sir, w- probably not a good idea we send COVID-infected patients into nursing homes. Or did that conversation go the other way? Well, they're older. They've lived a good life. So if they get the virus and go, then so be it. Did it go that way? I hope it didn't. I pray it didn't. But you, you, you see, this is what I've said for years. If we do not get the life issue right in the womb, then we don't get it right anywhere. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, if, if you don't recognize that there's life occurring in the womb, that the baby inside the womb is a human, a distinct individual human being that's never been created before, will never be created again. If you do not grasp that, then when you're in a conference room with the governor of the state of New York, and he says, we're going to send COVID-infected patients back into nursing homes. If you do not grasp that life begins at conception and life is in the womb, then you're not going to step up and say, but sir, Governor Cuomo, we we are sending these people to their death by making that policy decision. But you see, at that point in time, it wasn't about the lives of the vulnerable in the nursing home. It was just another policy discussion where true lives weren't even represented. And that's where we are. If you recognize that life begins at conception and life is occurring in the womb, then you might 
in, around that conference table have a different discussion when it comes to where you're sending COVID-infected patients. But you see the state of New York, that, that's where they are. They believe in abortion throughout the entire pregnancy. They believe, they have said with their policies, with their words, with their actions, that some lives have more value than other lives. They prove that with their abortion policy and they prove that with their COVID policy. Some lives matter more. I would simply argue every life has value. Every life is distinct and unique, created in the image of God. We should do everything we can to protect life and not create wrong-headed policies that are ending the lives of babies in the womb while also ending the lives of our most vulnerable during this pandemic inside of nursing homes. We'll finish up when we come back. It's the most beautiful time of the year. Lights fill the streets spreading so much cheer. I should be playing in the winter snow, but I'm going to be under the mistletoe. I don't want to miss out on the holiday, but I can't stop staring at your face. I should be playing in the winter snow, but I'm going to be under the mistletoe. Look, you're getting a little bit of everything today. That's Bieber. Mistletoe, look, I, I am a 36-year-old man with four kids, married, and that song is on repeat at Christmas time at the Woodhouse, okay? Huge fan, and Justin Bieber, when he, when he had that one, I don't even know if he was in his 20s. He was probably still a teenager. Uh, at least the video makes it appear that he is very young. He still had the Bieber bangs, I think. Um, the video is ridiculous. He's like... It's fake snowing, and he's got this old-timey car. Uh, see, we've clearly watched the video a number of times at the Woodhouse. But, but it is a great song, and, and I, it's, it's been interesting to watch. My, my second daughter, uh, Summer, she is, uh, let's see, she's seven, and she is really, it, it's been interesting to watch her get to know Justin Bieber's music. So she's younger, and, and, and so he's kind of, older now but but man she's a huge fan of of Justin Bieber's music there's some songs that I have to say yeah can't listen to that one uh you can't play that one but uh Mistletoe Good Christmas I, I would not recommend the Christmas album the whole album not great but that song is very good uh and and will stand the test of time it'll be played at the Woodhouse for a very very long time and I've been listening to Christmas music since September so that that song's been played uh, quite a bit at the Woodhouse already uh so get your christmas albums out it's time and make it happen uh and we'll do our part here uh on the show every single week as well so as we finish up today i do want to thank you for listening hopefully today you you got a glimpse at some of the things that are happening around the country in different states that that are still look we can be distracted by everything that's going on in washington and oftentimes we need to pay attention to what's going on in washington but there's a lot of things still happening across the, the country I mean, Colorado made that vote back during the election. So on November 3rd, they, they made the, uh, the decision to, to allow for abortion uh, within, you know, after five months of pregnancy. And so these are, these are things that, that matter to us. Now, the question is, what do we do about it? As, as, these le- as legislation comes forward and as abortion becomes, uh, continues to, uh, to, to be a, a, a reality for us across the country, what do we do as pro-lifers? Sure, we, we vote. Sure, we, we become activists. We, we do those things. But folks, I'm telling you, not just because I work at a pregnancy center, 
But I'm telling you, you the, the on-the-ground work that is happening inside of pregnancy centers is making a difference because it gives, it gives women another place to go. So it's not just abortion clinics opening their doors, but it's pregnancy centers opening their doors, providing services, providing a support system to a mom that doesn't have a support system, providing diapers to a family that needs diapers, providing a pregnancy test, providing a, a path to get out of an abusive relationship, providing a path to get with an OB, providing a path to, to get the help that they need. You see, we're building relationships with these folks. We're providing material needs for them. We're, we're mentoring them. We're, we're providing education for them. All of those things are happening at Hope Resource Center. All of those ha- things are happening at over uh, close to 3,000 pregnancy centers across the country. And, and, and they're doing it on shoestring budgets. And we're not charging the patients a dime. So if you want to help out, if you, if, you want to, if, you, if you look at the election, you look at all that's happening around the country, and you're going, what can I do as a pro-lifer? My suggestion, suggestion would be look up the pregnancy center in your geographical area, click on the donate button, and send them some funds. If that's Knoxville and that's here at Hope Resource Center, investinghope.com, make it happen. If you're in Nashville, there's a great pregnancy center there in Nashville, all across our state. If you're in, if you're in the state of New York, There's pregnancy centers in New York making a difference. If you're in Colorado, there's pregnancy centers making a huge difference in Colorado, Florida. You name the state, there's a pregnancy center there making a difference. Partner with them. You you will not regret clicking that donate button. Your funds will go to help and serve the patients in that area. If you click the donate button to Planned Parenthood, some of your money may go to, to assisting with an abortion. Some of your money may go to a political candidate that you disagree with because that's where a lot of their money goes. But if you click the donate button of a pregnancy center, that money is going to go to helping and serving the men and women of their community and seeing lives of babies saved. You can make that difference. We'll talk to you next week.